We're going to start a brand new series today. It's called Mind Games. And uh, no matter what comes to mind when you hear the word mind games, I want to kind of set the table for us today. And over the next five weeks, four weeks after today, we're going to kind of dive into some specific mindsets that uh, my heart, my prayer for us as a church is that we would gain victory in these areas of our lives. Um, So let me start this way. I love sports. Uh, I grew up playing sports. It's college football season. Any college football fans in the house? Yes, we have four. Awesome. (laughs) I love college football. Um, I learned several years ago not to take it so seriously that it ruins my life, but I love college football. The thing I love about sports, and specifically even college football, is that one play can change the entire outcome of a game. One single play. I mean, you can play an entire game, and at the very end, with one play, the entire outcome of the game can change. Let me give you a couple of examples. How many of you saw the Georgia Tech game last night, yesterday? A couple of you? Let me let you know what happened here. And let me say this, I'm not a Georgia Tech fan. They're not very good this year, so if you're a Georgia Tech fan, at least you have something to be proud of. Yesterday, Georgia Tech hosted number nine ranked Florida State University at Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. They played four quarters of the game, and with six seconds left, they were tied at the score of 16. FSU is attempting a 56-yard field goal to win the game. All they had to do was make one kick. They win the game. If they miss it, they go into overtime. But they've got a chance to win it at the very end. There's a snap. There's a hold. There's a kick. But Georgia Tech reaches up and tips it at the line of scrimmage. And the ball trickles down the field. And a young man by the name of Lance Austin picks it up. And he runs it back 78 yards for a touchdown. No time on the clock. The game is over. One team had an opportunity to win. But in just a moment, everything changed. And Georgia Tech, there is a celebration still going on in Atlanta because a few people think that they have a great football team. In just a moment, just a single play, it can change everything. Let's go back a week, October 17th, two Saturdays ago. Michigan versus Michigan State. Now, this was something that blew my mind, but let me kind of set the stage for you here. Michigan is ranked number 12 in the nation at this point. They've lost only one game to then-ranked number four, Utah. So if they went out, they still have a chance of having a really great season. And depending on what happens beneath them, they've got a chance to make the Final Four and play in the playoffs. They're hosting number seven, Michigan State, and... They had played an incredibly tough game. Michigan was kind of in a revival mode. They've got a new coach uh, in Jim Harbaugh, and he's kind of revolutionizing the program. There is hope in Ann Arbor again, and the big house is, is excited for Michigan Wolverine football. Michigan is up by two with 10 seconds left in the game. See, they had stopped Michigan State on a fourth down, and all they had to do was run out the clock because they were winning by two points. But they ran out of plays, and so they had to punt the ball. It was the final play. They would punt the ball. All they had to do was tackle Michigan State. The clock would likely run out, and they would win the game by two points. This is where it gets interesting. The snap is low. 
The punter reaches down to catch it, and he drops it. Michigan State is rushing ferociously because they want to block this punt. The punter reaches down, and in an attempt to get rid of the ball, he spins, and he's going to punt the ball, but it slips out of his hand right into the hands of Jalen Watts Jackson from Michigan State, who returns the ball for a touchdown. Michigan State wins the game, and everyone in Ann Arbor hates life once again. In just the blink of an eye, in just one play, one single heroic act can lead to victory. And one devastating, frustrating mistake can lead to the agony of defeat. There's the thrill of victory. There's the agony of defeat. And many times they're separated by only a single play. Now, We have come to know that the sports world is oftentimes a mental world. We're talking about mind games in this series, but if you've ever watched the Olympic Games, you know that the greatest athletes in the world compete against one another, and many times the winner is the one who's more mentally strong or more mentally fit, who makes better decisions, who has greater mind power, and makes better decisions. Several weeks ago, I watched a film simply titled Froning. It was a film about Rich Froning Jr., who is a CrossFit legend. From 2014 and 2013 and 2012 and in 2011, four consecutive years, he wins the CrossFit Games. Now, if you're not familiar with CrossFit, CrossFitters are a little odd in their own respect. They're all paleo in their diet, and they do crazy workout of the days, and uh, they, they do these crazy workouts. But it's a fitness revolution that's sweep, sweeping across the world. And it's all about high-intensity motions over periods of time, and these guys compete against each other. These women compete against one another. And it's different types of workouts that prove their fitness in different areas. There's, there's running, there's sprinting, there's power lifting, there's all different areas. And so many people feel like the winner of the CrossFit Games is the fittest person on earth. And Rich Froning Jr. won it four consecutive years, and many are calling him the fittest man in the history of the world. Incredible. He didn't compete this year. Why didn't he compete this year? He won four years in a row. In this film, he said that the mental strain of the competition was so unbearable that he couldn't put himself through it another year. So he competes now in group competitions, but he doesn't do the CrossFit games. No greater way to go out than on top. But the mental component to competitions is oftentimes underestimated. Just ask people like Tiger Woods, who was on top of his game, and life kind of fell apart, and his head was far from the game of golf, and has had an incredibly difficult time competing at the level that he once competed at. We see stories of pitchers in the major league who lose their heads, they get flustered, they get frustrated, and they can't throw strikes to save their lives. 
We hear of long-distance runners whose minds tell themselves that their body can't go any further and they give up on dreams and ambitions in competitions. Yet there are others who, in spite of the pain, are so mentally strong that they push themselves beyond any limits that they ever imagined that they could push past. Our minds play a significant role in our lives. And I'm of the persuasion that the greatest battlefield that we face in life isn't on a field and it's not on a court. It's in our heads. It's in our minds. And we face an enemy. We compete against an enemy who wants to destroy us. And the greatest leverage that our spiritual enemy has against us is our thought life. If he can convince us that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, that, that we have something to fear, or that life's not worth living, if he can get a grip on our mind, then he can affect our entire life. And I'm afraid that many people, perhaps some of us in this room, are living lives in defeat because of what's going on between our ears. And we have such struggles and such strains that happen, and we're so close to victories that God has for us, but we just are limited. We're held hostage by thoughts in our minds. And I want for us over the next five weeks to gain victory in the areas of our mindset. So, today, what I want to do is I want to just I want to kind of prepare a table, and then we're going to get specific starting next week, and we're going to talk about some specific mindsets that are unhealthy that we need to conquer. But today, I want, I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read verses 4 and 5. And I want to share a somewhat familiar passage with you. Many of you will have heard this passage. And when I read the second part of the second verse, verse 5, you're going to say, yeah, I've definitely heard that. And many of us have had an interpretation in our minds of this verse that um, has been frustrating to us, to say the least. And we're going to talk through the potential that this verse has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, starting in verse number 4. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in a letter written to the church in Corinth. He says, the weapons, of, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a couple of powerful verses that have huge implications for our lives, but I want to make sure that we understand um, the context that this verse is written and the application that it has for our lives. Many times we read this and we think that we are in the place of Paul by which we need to take our own thoughts captive, that they may not influence our lives in negative ways. And then we hold hostage these thoughts and uh, make sure we resist their influence on our lives so that we can live lives in victory. But that's not entirely the context that this was written. See, Paul is saying the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
See, in the church of Corinth, in the city of Corinth, there were many philosophers, and many people had an opinion about God. Many people had a view of God that wasn't necessarily accurate, but many people expressed these views in pretentious ways. Their arrogant views condemned people that didn't believe the way that they believed. And they spoke about God as if they knew God. But Paul understood that sometimes you can't argue with an arguer. I remember many debates that my brother and I had when we were growing up. And I can remember specific arguments that we would get in. And I can remember the specific moment that I realized my brother was right. But because of the pride in my heart, I would try with everything within me to prove that I was actually right. And when I would get him to admit that I was right, only then would I say, actually, you were right. Have you ever met someone like that that's just so pretentious, that just wants to push their views on you, that won't take no for an answer? They know everything, and they will not accept reasoning. There are people in this world, there are people in our lives, there are people in our families that have views of God that may or may not be accurate, but they hold steadfast to those views. And sometimes we spend our energy and our effort doing what? Trying to convince them that their view of God is not accurate. And so we try to reason with them. We try to express logical concerns. We try to uh, express passages of Scripture in a way to give them information that would change their mindset so that they would believe the way we believe, which is obviously the right way. That's what we believe in our hearts, right? But Paul is saying here, that people who have pretentious views of God, he doesn't want to spend his energy and effort arguing with them, exchanging information, trying to convince them that they're wrong and that he's right. Instead, he says that his weapons are different from the weapons of the world. He doesn't seek to throw ammunition at them in the way they throw ammunition at him. Listen to this again. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Your ability to express a reasonable, logical view of God to someone accurately enough to convince them that you're right pales in comparison to the divine power that God enables our words to have on people to demolish strongholds. There can be people in our life who have unhealthy views of God that we can just wrestle back and forth for days and weeks and months and years and never get anywhere. But one spirit-empowered word to that person can demolish strongholds, can tear down those pretentious thoughts. And Paul says, I want nothing but the power, the divine power of God to work through me to change minds rather than simply arguing back and forth. And I want you to notice the two ways that he says that we do this. Verse 5, he says, we demolish arguments. His power in us demolishes arguments. We don't, we, we can't always convince people that we're right and that they're wrong. Because even people like me who may know that they're wrong still want to be right. And they won't surrender. But we can demolish arguments through the power of of Christ in us. This is a, a beautiful picture of the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. 
It's not simply a logical decision to follow Jesus, right? We know this. It's the Holy Spirit drawing us unto salvation, making us a new creation. He does something new in our lives. I often say, look, you can decide to be a vegetarian. You can decide to be a Republican or a Democrat. But becoming a Christian is more spirit-empowered than a simple decision that says, I'm a Zaxby guy. You understand that, right? That there is a divine power that is at our disposal to demolish arguments that any pretentious knowledge of God cannot stand up to the divine power of God. And so Paul says, those who oppose us, those who resist us, those who try to prove that they're right and prove that we're wrong, we can demolish those arguments with the divine power of God. It's a beautiful thing. That's why many people try to get me to argue. People say, people say, let's go to lunch. I got a question for you. I say, what's the question? They tell me the question. I say, you want to argue, don't you? You want to prove to me that you're right and that I'm wrong, right? What do I need to do for you to be satisfied? Do I just need to go ahead and tell you you're right? And they get frustrated. They're like, well, don't you want to argue? Don't you want to prove your side? And I'm like, I believe God's word. And there's truth there, and I believe that God reveals truth. If you ever come to me and you have sincere questions, and you want to reason through the scriptures together, that's one thing. But if you just want to argue with me, I'm wasting my time. And many times, that's how we spend our energy in our relationships, is simply trying to intellectually convince someone that they're wrong. But we need God's spirit to help us demolish those arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, if someone doesn't fully know, if if they don't fully know God, then they can't understand his power that's at work in them. And so Paul is saying, these people that are resisting us, we're going to allow the spirit of God to transform their lives rather than argue with him. But then he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought that's pretentious, that that stands against the knowledge of God. We take those thoughts captive, meaning we're not going to allow those thoughts to infiltrate our church, Corinthians. We're not going to allow that influence to infiltrate. We're going to stand firm on the truth and we're going to resist those thoughts that would be contrary to what we know the Word of God teaches us. See, here's how I've often viewed this passage of Scripture. Maybe you're in the same boat that I've been in for much of my life. When I've heard we take every thought captive, I immediately came to the realization that I have some thoughts that aren't godly. Likely you have thoughts that aren't godly as well. And so for me, this was a a passage of hope that says, if I can just be disciplined enough with my thoughts, if I can just resist the evil, sinful, selfish thoughts that I have, then I can live a life of victory. And so I imagined in my head this prison, and I imagined every thought that came into my head as kind of standing on trial. And I said to my thoughts, Are you a godly thought or are you a sinful thought? You're a sinful thought. I'm going to put you in captivity. I'm going to take you captive. I'm not going to allow you to have influence in my life. I'm going to resist that thought. And I'm only going to cling to the thoughts that are godly. 
And listen, that's not a bad strategy. That is not a bad strategy in life. But I became frustrated because I have a lot of thoughts. And I felt like I was spending so much time trying to decipher these thoughts in my head. And I would oftentimes have more thoughts than I had time to kind of put my thoughts on trial. And I would often act on thoughts that were sinful. And I'm like, I was supposed to take that thought captive. What's my problem? I don't have enough time in my day to kind of take these thoughts and put them on trial. And my problem was, I was putting myself in the seat of Paul in this passage. And Paul is saying, we take every thought captive. And I was saying, I'm in the seat of Paul, and I'm going to take my thoughts captive. That's not the application that we need to take. It's not a bad application. You won't go wrong if you think before you speak. You know people that do that? They just have a thought and they say it. And you're like, you should probably develop a filter. That would probably be helpful for you. Filters are good. They keep some bad things out. It's okay for you to think before you speak. You know people like that. I know none of you are like that, but, you know, it's not a bad thing. But here's the beauty of this passage. Is that we don't sit in the seat of Paul in this passage. Is we need to put ourselves in the seat of the pretentious people who have views of God that may or may not line up with God's word. And we need to say to ourselves, is my life lining up with my view of God, with what Paul has taught me in the New Testament, with what the apostles have taught me, with what the gospel writers have taught me? And instead of just assuming that we have a completely accurate view of God and letting that assumption be our filter for our thoughts, we need to take a step back and say, I'm not going to assume that I have an accurate view of God. I'm going to start applying my view of God to God's word. And I'm going to put all bets off the table and I'm going to say, God, is my view of you healthy in light of your word? And there are times in my life where I say, I had a different view of God than I should have had. And God's word revealed to me some errors in my thought. And if I will allow God's word to transform my life, then I will think Christ-like. Don't we have it backwards? We think if we can correct every single thought, then we'll be Christ-like. But really, we need to correct our view of God, and then we will think in the right ways. We think wrong ways because we have inaccurate views of God. We haven't submitted some areas of our life to Christ. We haven't given him access to some areas of our life, and we've held on to some unhealthy places, and that causes us to think thoughts that are contrary to God's word. And so rather than trying to take those thoughts and hold them captive, we should allow God's word to hold captive our thoughts because we're submitting our views to the very word of God. And we're allowing him to change us from the inside out. Wouldn't you love life if you thought the right way? Wouldn't life be so much easier if you didn't have to say, why am I having these thoughts? Why am I thinking that? I know I shouldn't think that. Now I'm acting on these thoughts. Wouldn't it just be easier to, to have godly thoughts to start with? Well, how does that happen? Is it willpower? Is it trying harder? Is it becoming more disciplined? There's, there's some legitimate areas of truth in that. But the greater ideal is to allow God to transform our hearts and allow our lives to align with God's word. And when that happens... 
will think holy thoughts, pure thoughts, thoughts that are virtuous, thoughts that are uplifting. And we want to allow our thoughts to be holding us prisoner because of areas that we haven't submitted. See, in this passage, Paul is the warrior, and the thoughts of the Corinthians are his enemy. And he's trying to hold captive to destroy the thoughts that oppose a correct view of God. And we need to take a viewpoint where we say, God's word, we give you the authority in our life to speak truth into me. If there are ways in my life that don't align with your word, allow that truth to change me. And in so doing, my thoughts will follow. So we have to learn to put ourselves in the right place. We have to understand that we aren't the ones taking captive, but rather we're the ones submitting our thoughts to becoming captive thoughts. And we're giving God and his word permission to hold captive anything in our life that isn't healthy. So number one, we submit all of our thoughts and feelings about God and life to the scrutiny of God's word. And if any of our thoughts don't align with his word, then we allow them to be demolished. We allow them to be destroyed. And we stop pretending that we know everything and we have everything figured out and we have the perfect view of God. And we start saying, God, would you speak to me through your word? Would your word examine my life? Would you reveal anything in my life that doesn't align with your word? And will you destroy that viewpoint? Will you tear that down and not allow that to be a driving force in my life? Would you hold that thought captive and transform and change me by your divine power? Do you see the different approach that we take when we do this? We're not assuming that we have all the answers and trying to filter our thoughts based on our assumption, but we're just stepping back and saying, God, allow your word to be true to me. And then secondly, we ask the Holy Spirit's power to work in our thinking. We ask God's spirit to transform our thinking. Paul, in another letter to the Romans in chapter 12, verse number 2, he says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Can we just talk about the pattern of thinking in this world right now? Do you know that the statistics for depression are off the charts? More people are living in depression in today's society than ever before in the history of the world. That people are living lives, they're they're imprisoned by their thoughts. They don't feel like they can go on. They don't feel like their life has purpose. They don't feel like they have what they need in life to be satisfied. People live lives in fear. There's fear that surrounds us based on many different decisions. People live lives full of insecurity and worry and anxiety. And these thoughts hold us captive. And these thoughts affect our view of God. And they cause us to live defeated lives. They cause us to live lives that aren't filled with joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. But we, feel, we, we love God, we love Jesus, but we live such defeated lives because the mindset of the world becomes our mindset. And let something tragic happen or, or let something happen that 
doesn't go our way. And man, we can just have thoughts that send us off the deep end. But listen to this. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. He doesn't say transform your mind. So who does the renewing? It's God's spirit. And we allow him access to transform our minds by taking those thoughts captive. Then, once your mind is renewed, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Can we just all be honest? We haven't arrived at God's best for us. Until the day that we step into eternity, there is growth that needs to take place in our lives. We need to mature. We need to be closer to Jesus. And that happens by allowing our minds to be renewed by God's Spirit, which happens by not conforming to the patterns of this world. And one of the patterns is a pattern of thinking. Why are, we, why are we doing this series? Why, why are we doing this series? Can I just put my cards on the table? The last six months of my life have been extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. I have every reason in the world to have a life that's filled with joy. We have a baby girl that's the most precious thing in all the world. We have a home that that serves us well. We have vehicles to drive. We have family that loves us. My relationships are not suffering. My wife and I have an incredible marriage. I love Jesus with all my heart. Yet can I tell you that over the last six months, I have spent more time feeling paralyzed by thoughts in my head than I have at any point in my life. And I'll be the first to tell you, when people battle depression, when people have thoughts that dominate their lives, I have never been able to relate to those people. I've never been able to wrap my mind around what they're experiencing. I pray for them. I understand that they're going through difficult times. But the last six months of my life have been extremely difficult. And I can't take you to any one event and say, this is the cause of it. Now, if I fix that one event, then everything is right. But more and more, Jesus is revealing to me that he wants to do something in my life, that he wants to allow some circumstances that have taken place in my life that have been hurtful, that have been painful, that have caused me to question myself and doubt myself and wonder if you fill in the blank. I filled it in many times. I'll just be honest with you, I'm tired of it. And I hope that you're tired of it when you face that too. Because the reality is, is when we live lives with that mindset, it's not a mindset of Christ. It's from the enemy. And he is trying to destroy us. And he's allowing ourselves to allow our external experiences in life to drive the relationship that we have with God rather than allowing God to drive our perspective on external events. So next week we're going to talk about what it looks like to live life with fear. 
how to conquer fear, how to resist fear, how to take fear captive, how to be freed from fear. And I'm not going to be able to give you like a, an eight-step or a two-step or a one-step process. If you'll just do this, everything's going to be fine. But I'm going, to, I'm going to let us know through God's Word that living a life with fear is not God's best for us. And it's a lie from the enemy. It's a mindset that needs to be submitted to God's Word and allow it to be destroyed and taken captive so that we can experience freedom in Him. I'm going to do my best to talk about depression. I'm going to do my best to talk about insecurities. I'm going to do my best to talk about worry and anxiety. And if you're in the room today and you struggle with some of these intense mindsets that dominate your life and keep you from experiencing God's best, I hope that you'll make it a point to be part of this series with us. Because the last thing that we need is a group of people who have been saved and rescued by God from the sinfulness of this world and have been given hope and given a purpose to live lives defeated because we can't get things right in our heads. There's hope for your life. There's hope for my life. And we're going to be better for it when God's Word transforms our thinking. Our thoughts are going to be taken captive. That's my prayer is God, you take these unhealthy thoughts that have dominated my life. You take these unhealthy thoughts that these men, that these women, that these students struggle with, and you take them captive. And your power of your spirit transforms and renews our minds. And we're not going to conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Now, hopefully, at least someone else can benefit from this. And this will be helpful to someone. I'm assuming that it will be helpful. So here's how I want to end today. Is I just want to have a final prayer. I'm actually going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way back to the stage. And we're going to sing a final song in, in just a few moments. But I want to have a final prayer. And here's how I want you to respond to the final prayer. If you would just say there are thoughts in my life that need to be taken captive. And I want to be set free from the struggles that I have mentally. And I want God to bring freedom in my life. And I want to live in the truth of his word rather than the conforming to the patterns of this world. I just want you to stand up. Say, that's me. Just pray for me with you. And together, we're going to experience God's freedom. It's not going to be easy. And there's no simple steps that we're going to take to resolve all of life's issues. But we're going to believe that God's word is going to speak into our lives and transform our thoughts. And the enemy is not going to have a stronghold in our life anymore. So if that's you, you say, I'm in, sign me up. Would you just stand up and let's have a prayer together? All over the room, Father, you see men, women, and students who have been held hostage by these thoughts, these unhealthy thoughts, these ungodly thoughts, these lies from the enemy that try to destroy us. And Father, we are saying in this moment that our greatest desire is for you to take captive every thought in our life that doesn't belong in the mind of a believer of Jesus Christ. And we submit who we are to you and we ask you to transform our minds, to renew our minds, we ask your spirit to destroy the arguments that our pretentious views of God and, 
and our self-righteous views have kept us from experiencing your best. Demolish those arguments. Renew our minds. Give us hope where we haven't had hope and set us free where we've been in bondage. And we stand together, Father, believing that you can and still do in our lives the same thing that you did through the Apostle Paul in the lives of the Corinthians. And that's that we take captive thoughts and we force them to obey Christ. We open our lives to you and invite you to do in us what only you can do in us.